0: Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. We begin this morning. I want to do things just a little different than what we normally do. I want to show you a video clip this morning and let you look at this clip that's going to come up in just a few minutes. So this clip is from the 1940s. Many of you perhaps have seen this video, but this video is showing... A video of the bridge that it's called the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Now, this bridge is also known as Galloping Gertie, and you'll see why it's called Galloping Gertie in just a minute. This bridge over that sound was to connect two areas of a county in Washington. There was a lot of fanfare, a lot of circumstance concerning this bridge. It took them a while to make it, but as you can see, the bridge had a nickname. The nickname of the bridge. Was galloping Gertie. Now this bridge stretched across the sound in Washington State, collapsed eventually in a 45 mile per hour windstorm. Now it took the engineers two years to build this bridge and it took four months for the bridge to collapse. And collapse it did. And if we were to watch the end of this video you'd see the collapse of the bridge. Matter of fact The bridge collapsed November the 7th, 1940, which is the anniversary of that collapse, is tomorrow. Now, needless to say, this bridge that was intended to safely transport cars from one cliff to another, it had a structural flaw that rendered it entirely useless. Now, I would think today, this morning, we can meet on common ground, and all of us can say, if you're going to get on a bridge over a sound suspended several stories over the water, you'd hope that the engineer didn't just make it through engineer class. You hope that he graduated probably best in his class. Now, you and I have been studying Matthew together as a fellowship, and if you have your Bible here this morning, I encourage you and invite you to go ahead and turn to Matthew this morning. And as we look into Matthew chapter 4, Matthew is giving us a true picture. Matthew is giving us an eyewitness account of the most significant person who has ever lived. And that is our one Lord, Jesus Christ. And so Matthew has been telling us from the life of Jesus that this one has come as king to be king. This king has come to establish his kingdom on earth, the earth that he created, And he's come to have a people to make a people that are going to enjoy reigning with him forever and ever. As we come to Matthew chapter 4 today, in our text, we're going to see a very pivotal moment as Jesus is going to begin his ministry. It's a sinister moment, a moment of darkness, when the devil himself is going to come, and he's going to try to derail the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's today read Matthew chapter 4, just the first 11 verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and were ministering to Him. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity that You've given us this morning. And Lord, thank You that we have a Savior who is strong, a Savior who has been tempted as always as we are, except without sin. And it's Him that we hope. It's Him that we trust. And it's Him that we proclaim today in the power of the Spirit to the glory of God. Be with us today, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we see this text today, as we see, as we enter this narrative, Jesus, listen carefully, is voluntarily subjecting himself to temptation. Voluntarily, by his choice, subjecting himself to temptation. There's one reason why he's doing that. The reason that Jesus is subjecting himself to temptation by the devil all of us have been tempted before but i don't know many of us who have ever been tempted by the devil himself the reason that he's doing that is because of you the reason he's voluntarily subjecting himself is for your sake and my sake you see this is why jesus is led by the spirit so today what i want us to learn from this passage is i want us to learn four truths about jesus and his mission And we're going to see exactly if Jesus is doing this for our sake, if He's voluntarily subjecting Himself to this for our sake, then what this temptation account tells us is not only who He is, but it tells us what He has come to do. What did we see just as we read? We see this Jesus, our one Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, overwhelmingly conquering temptation. And so today we're going to look at the strength of our Savior, and after we have seen Him, after we delve into this text and we proclaim Christ, the only alternative for us will be to worship Him. The only alternative for us will be, after we've seen Him, to put our whole-hearted confidence in Him. So, number one this morning, if you're taking notes, number one, Jesus gives us a better longing. Jesus gives us something better to hope for, something better. To live for. And so, what happens here in Matthew chapter 4, right after, look what happens. It comes on the hill in Matthew chapter 3. This loud voice, behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Right after this wonderful declaration of the sonship of God, the devil comes to him, specifically questioning who he is. Look at what he says. He says, If you are the Son of God. Do you see what's in contest here? The devil is going after exactly what the voice from heaven said. You need to understand this as well as I do this morning, that the enemy's tactic will always go after what God has said. And so, we can't say enough how important it is to know who this Jesus is. You can't just have any Jesus that saves. The devil is contesting who he is if you are the Son of God. We can't say that enough, how important that is. He is the eternal Son of God who has come condescending to us without ceasing to be what He was. He became what He was not so that He could save us and raise us from our depravity, from our sickness to His glory. And so what do we see Jesus doing here? He's fasting. Jesus is hungry. What does that tell us? That this Jesus is not some third being. This Jesus is truly man. This Jesus is truly God in one person, our one Lord, Jesus Christ. And so the enemy who has been tempting since the very beginning comes to offer Him food of all things. Comes to tell Him that there's something that He is lacking. Listen carefully. Even though Jesus is hungry, He lacks nothing. Remember where He is. He is in the desolate wilderness. Remember Who is with him? The Spirit of our Lord is with him. Remember why he is there. The Spirit is leading him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when does it happen? It's after he steps into the waters of baptism. And what does he do in those waters? He identifies himself with both the saving acts of God, as well as the ones who need saving. Why is that? Also, that he can overwhelmingly show us and face any wiles, face any danger to show us that he is the only one qualified to be our Savior. There is no one else who can do what Jesus has done. There is no one else that can save you. You see, where every other man had failed, when faced with temptation, when faced with the lure of the enemy, Jesus is going to be tempted in the flesh just as we are in all ways except the overwhelming difference between him and us. He was tempted as always as we are yet without sin. So the enemy comes to him. Look at what he says. Command these stones to be bread. The devil says, aren't you the son of God? Surely the son of God. The God of the universe shouldn't like anything, especially something so essential as bread. Have you ever heard those own words in your life? As you're trying your diligence to wholeheartedly trust in Jesus, have you ever heard the words in your life? Listen closely. Learn from the playbook of the enemy. Satan will tempt you. He will come to you by trying to tell you that what you have in God is not enough. He will come to you and tempt you by offering you something that has the guise of satisfaction. But in reality, if you're in Christ, you have already everything that you need. That's what Peter says. We have everything that we need to live godly in Christ Jesus. The enemy, his tactic is to come to you and try to persuade you that there's something in your life that's lacking. You need a little bit more. God is holding something From you. There's something in this world other than Jesus that satisfies you, but learn from Jesus. Learn what Jesus says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every, listen, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Desiring God, obeying God, listen carefully to me this morning, must be more important than even meeting your physical needs. Desiring God, obeying God, must become more important for you than even meeting your own physical needs. Physical needs are based upon what we know, based upon what we see, or maybe based upon what others may tell us that we need. Here's what we know. Our stomachs may hunger. Our eyes may grow dim. But still, our trust has to be in Him who said He will never leave us, nor will He ever forsake us. Listen carefully. Physical pain, physical affliction is but for a moment. But God, God is for all eternity you see he is the fulfillment of all of our needs and every one of our needs are are simply met by knowing him he is the fulfillment of all of our needs so this is why I'm I'm so excited to preach this message today and what a wonderful act of providence that we have to think about these things as Christians this is why these times in our country what's going on as you and I are in the midst of this election year are so good for our church What do I mean? I don't just mean Oxford Baptist Church. I mean the church all over America. Because we look at our world and it's beyond the doubt that there is a serious crisis in our culture. We as a society are losing our moral moorings as a culture. We're losing the ability to determine what is right and what is wrong. Questions have arisen in the last five years that have never arisen before in the history of humanity and all of the questions that we are redefining things and saying this is that, all are basic as to what is right and what is wrong. And Let me just assure you of this. There's going to be more questions will come as we as a culture drift further and further from the dock of truth into the sea of relativism. More questions. Questions that my children are going to face that have never been faced before. Maybe some of those movies that we used to watch when we were younger about artificial intelligence, whether or not those things are true, human cloning. All of these questions are going to come within my children's generation. And as we lose our moorings on basic right and wrong, we're drifting further and further into this sea of relativism where what's right is dependent upon only one thing, and that's whether or not you think it's right or not. This election year is really historic. It's historic for so many reasons. And never before have I seen such divisiveness between people who love Jesus. I was just talking with one of my friends last night and understanding just how divisive everything is and everything is divisive between Christians over which candidate is best to lead this country. And I was talking this morning with my little five-year-old and I asked her this morning, I said, Adelie, who are you voting for? And she's been very keen, at least in my estimation, of a five-year-old. She's looked And I said, who are you voting for? And you know what she did first? You know what she did? She hesitated. She did give an answer. I'm not going to tell you what her answer was, but she did hesitate. Before she gave an answer, she hesitated. And let me just say this. Her hesitation is right where all of us need to be. Listen, not just in this election year, but in every election year. So I've just been paying attention. And I wonder, I wonder in all the cross talk how often what is said in those conversations really reveal the longing of our hearts. What's the better that we're longing for? Is it less taxes? Better health care? Feeling safer? None of those are bad things, right? None of those are bad things for you and I to hope for, but ultimately, What are we who claim the name of Jesus to hope for? Jesus taught us to pray as He came infiltrating enemy territory. He taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. So what do we say? We say, As we go to that election booth, we say and we mark our ballot whatever direction we put, we say and we should say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So learn from Jesus and make sure that as we go into the booths, our hearts are set on seeking the Lord God. On seeking and seeing the Kingdom of God come. And when He comes, listen carefully, this is the hope of the Christian. When He comes, He's going to make every kingdom every politician bow to Him and declare Him as Lord. Don't settle, believer, for anything this world offers. Don't settle for anything this world can offer. Seek Jesus. And let Him be the determining factor in how you vote and when you vote. And oh, that God would teach us this lesson in the first point. Oh, that He would take our hearts to the place where nothing else will do except Jesus. Are you there? Is your heart there? That you can confidently say that you are placing all of your hope in Jesus? And as a result of that hope that you have in Jesus, then you go out and you live your life. The way that you live your life, in the wisdom of our Lord, voting for your candidate, but knowing that your hope's not in a candidate. Your hope ultimately is in a King who is coming. And when He comes, He is bringing healing in His wings. He is bringing salvation. He is bringing His kingdom come. There's a song that I think of. It's like the then contemporary singer. And he was a contemporary singer back in his day. You know him. George Beverly Shea. He used to sing a song. A song that I want us to sing together today. And what's the name of that song that made him so famous? I'd rather have Jesus. Steve, would you lead us in that just for a moment? Let's sing this song together. M506, if you need the world. <laughs> satisfy you like Jesus. Jesus has come in the midst of all of our chaos, and He has come to give us a better longing, someone better to hope for, someone better to believe in. Number two this morning, Jesus has come to show us true religion, what it means to be truly devoted to God. Look at this. After the first temptation seems to fail, the devil, he's not too quick to give up. After all, he's the devil. He's been doing what he's been doing for thousands of years. He's good at what he does. When he comes to you and tempts you, it's not his first rodeo, as some of us may say. He's done it before. And so he's not so quickly to give up on his adventure to see the sun fall. And so what does he do? He tries a new tactic. And so here's what he says, if Jesus is going to stand on the Word, then the devil wants to see how much Jesus is ready to live by every Word of God. And so what does he do? He takes Him to a high place. And the devil shows Jesus, hey, you're going to use Scripture? I'll use a little bit of Scripture too. And so he does. He quotes just a portion of Psalm 91. He quotes just a portion. It is written, he even has, says in his lips. And let me just say this. We know who the devil is. He's the devil. He's a liar. He's the tempter. He's the accuser. He is your enemy. He is my enemy. And listen, every false teaching has its source. The source of every false teaching is Satan himself. And every false teaching, it's false teaching. Listen. When the Mormons come to your door, you know what they're going to have in their hand? Probably a Bible. Now, no doubt the Bible's going to be a little thicker than yours and mine, but they're going to have some probably familiar, if you ask the Mormons to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, they can do it. Or when you go to Walmart and you run into a Jehovah's Witness and he wants to give you a tract, he'll probably have his copy of his scriptures you matter of fact may go to a church that says that they teach Jesus now they've been teaching Jesus for 500 700 a thousand years this historic denomination teaches Jesus but then you learn that they condone practices that are forbidden by scripture or you may go to a church that you've always gone to and After sitting through the preaching, you realize that the preacher is really not preaching Christ alone, but he's preaching Jesus plus all of this other stuff. Now, even if that other stuff is good stuff, like, you know, uh, who knows? We could name anything. I won't do it. But even if this other stuff is good stuff, but what that preaching does is it's saying that Jesus is really not enough. It's saying that the cross is not enough. It's saying that you need to add your flavor to Jesus in order to make Him really good. Or... You may hear a sermon from this passage this morning, Matthew chapter 4, and the sermon is centered on how you can handle your temptation. It sounds really good, but then you go home and you think about it and you realize that the sermon was about you and not about Jesus, that the sermon did not exalt Christ even though you left and for a moment you felt really good. Listen to me closely this morning. Knowing Scripture doesn't make you a Christian. Being religious doesn't make you Christian. The devil, he's probably the most religious person there is. He's very devoted to his own cause. Matter of fact, he's devoted to God. You can read the Scriptures and see that. He goes to God before he tempts Job. He's very devoted. He knows his place in some regard. The devil is very religious. He knows more Scripture than you. Then guess what? He's still the devil. So what's then the point of Scripture? Listen carefully. Scripture is not so much for you and I to use as it is to be used by us to point to God. So let me say that again. Scripture is not so much for man to use as it is to use man to point man to God. God uses Scripture. And what is Scripture? It's words, it's thoughts, it's ideas that you and I can understand. God uses these words, uses these thoughts, uses these ideas to express a reality of who He is. So what does that mean? Scripture then is not to be used by us for our ambition. It's to be used by God for His goal. And what is God's goal? He has one goal in mind. And His goal is nothing short of glory. You see, listen carefully. Scripture must be the place that you and I stand. Scripture must be the place that we stand so that we won't fall. A wrong view of Scripture will lead you over a cliff. A wrong view of Scripture will lead you to disaster. So then how do you know If you're reading Scripture right, listen carefully. Here, Jesus tells us, it starts here. Listen, Scripture is intended to reveal Jesus. Scripture is not intended to manipulate Jesus. When you read your Bible, if you read your Bible and you get something other than salvation in Jesus Christ, you're not reading your Bible right. Even if you go into the book of Judges and you read about all of these different cases or you go to the book of Leviticus and you don't get Jesus out of that, you're not reading your Bible right. And so listen, if you are at the heart of your desires, then let me say it plainly to you. You are not worshiping God. You're worshiping yourself. What's Satan do here? Look at what happens. Look at how Satan uses Scripture. This is important for us. He quotes Psalm 91. But look at how he uses it. He uses it for his own purposes. He quotes from verse 11 and 12, but he conveniently leaves out what comes next. Listen to Psalm 91 this morning, beginning in verse 11, just as Satan quoted. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, that's what Satan said to Jesus. Now, listen to the next verse. If we were to just keep going, this is beautiful. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Oh, if Satan would have just kept going, just one more verse. He would have seen his own defeat. He would have seen his own end. But he stopped it short of Scripture's true intentions. He stopped it short from letting Scripture speak for itself. Satan doesn't want us to use Scripture as God intends. Why is that? Because God intends to conquer Satan. And He intends to conquer all of those who gladly follow Him. Number three this morning, Jesus has come to conquer the world. So what happens here? Satan can't get him with this. So he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and says, cast yourself down. No, that doesn't work for Jesus. So then he takes him up on a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. So if Satan can't get him with Scripture, he's going to appeal to the very purpose that Jesus came, and he's going to offer him a counterfeit. Satan offered Jesus a kingdom that would not last. But listen carefully, Jesus has come to have an everlasting kingdom. See, look at this. This is is interesting. How in the world can Satan offer all of these kingdoms to Jesus? Right now, Satan has his grip on the kingdoms of this world. Even the best government is going to have some level of corruption in it. Even the best attempt at society is going to fall short of what God's desire for it to be. Jesus has come in the midst of an enemy who has a stranglehold on the kingdom of this world. Jesus has come to remove the death grip of Satan and to take over the world. You see, what has Jesus done? He's come into enemy territory to redeem. He's come into enemy territory to recapture to restore the kingdom of this world. As Revelation chapter 11 says, the kingdoms of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign for how long? Ever and ever. So Satan takes Him up and says, look, if you'll just bow to Me, then I'll give you all this. But the way that Jesus was to conquer the world was not by bowing to Satan. The way that Jesus came to conquer the world was by a cross. And the way that He would conquer the world was by taking the form of a servant. As Philippians says, being born in the likeness of men, humbling Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now listen to this next part in Philippians. Therefore, Because of all that. Because this was the way that God became king. Because this was the way that He conquered the world. Because He went and embraced death for me, for you. Because He went to the cross. Therefore, God, what has He done? Highly exalted Him. And He has bestowed upon Him a name that is above every name. And what happens at the name of Jesus? Look, Satan says bow to me, but Satan just didn't realize, or he did, that's why he wants him to bow and subvert his mission. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at what Jesus says to Satan. Look at what He says here in verse 10. Be gone, for it is written. Look at this. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. He's speaking in the future. You shall do these things. He's saying to Satan, you may tempt me today, but there's coming a day when I'm going to call you to account because see Jesus knows what is coming he knows the time when after the cross, when after the resurrection when after making a full penalty for sin, undergoing death and raising humanity up again by his resurrection he knows that Matthew 28 is coming where Jesus says after the cross, after the resurrection Jesus says all authority has been given to me and listen carefully to me this morning We as His followers, as those who have received Jesus by faith. Do you ever wonder about that language? Not just received about Jesus, but we have received Him by faith. We get to go in His authority everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. Temptation, Although the fire may burn in our hearts, it does not have to have sway over us anymore. Death, even though it may seem like that we may have loved ones in the ground, they've been in there a long time because of Jesus, death does not have the final answer. Jesus has the final answer. And his final answer is nothing short of glory. His final answer is nothing short of victory. And listen, He came to this earth that He created so that He could secure such a hope for me and for you. All of those who by faith trust in Him and we get to go in His authority everywhere we go. Think about that. Jesus, what He say in Matthew 28? He says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And as John says it, as the Father sends me, so send I you. All authority has been given to me. Now, go in the power of the Spirit and preach the good news. Proclaim good news to those who are in captivity of sin. Preach to them and tell them that they don't have to be in sin anymore. That there is victory. That there is hope. Victory alone in Christ alone because He has conquered for us one time for all time. You see, number four, this morning. Jesus has come to be our Savior. Jesus has come to be our Savior. What's He doing here? This is why the early church, when they were looking through the the creed of Nicaea, 325 and 381, they said a certain word in the creed of why Jesus came. And this is so important. Why did Jesus come? The way they articulated it back then after reading the Scriptures, they said that He came for your sake and for your salvation. Jesus came for our sake and for our salvation. So what's He doing here? Why is God leading Him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Listen carefully to me this morning. Jesus is making all things new in Himself. He is telling a new story by reversing the old story. Look at this. It's so significant. He's in the wilderness how many days? Forty. How long was Noah in the ark? How long did the people of Israel walk in the wilderness? What's the number? What's He doing? Jesus is coming. He is retelling the story. Though he's not telling the story completely, he's changing the outcome. Where disobedience came, this time obedience comes. And how does obedience come? Through him. Each time he quotes scripture from Deuteronomy. That passage in Deuteronomy 6 through 8, Moses is recalling when Israel wandered. In the wilderness of Judea, where God, it says, was testing their hearts to see what it is that was in their heart. But read the rest of the Gospel according to the Old Testament. Read the rest of the story. What's in the heart of the Israelites? What happened? They were stubborn. They were stiff-necked. They disobeyed. Matter of fact, Moses says, you cannot obey. And they were unable to obey. Why? Why? Because the deck was stacked against them already. There was another story that happened before Deuteronomy. It happened in Genesis where there was the first man that God created. His name was Adam. But Christ has come. And listen to the beauty of this. Where the first Adam failed to be faithful in a garden. Christ has come and been faithful even in a desert, even in a wilderness where Adam had plenty of food just for him to reach up and grab. Adam had plenty of food and he failed. Jesus was in a place where there was no food. And He refused the food offered by the snake. You see, Jesus has come to be our Savior. Jesus has come to begin a new day. Jesus has come to begin a day not of disobedience, but of obedience. Jesus has come to begin a day where life will reign instead of death. So you and I this morning, we need to learn from Jesus. What was His weapon against Satan? What did He do? Jesus, being the Word of God, could have said anything He wanted and it would have been Scripture. But is that what He does? What's He do? What's His weapon against Satan? What's He do? He goes back to Scripture. Listen carefully to me this morning. Trust what God says. What God says is better than what you think it says. What God says is better than what you say. What God says is better than what any of us say. Learn to hear His voice clearly even when you hear another voice saying almost the same thing. If we're going to stand together, then let's stand together where Jesus stood. And where did Jesus stand? Jesus stood on the Word of God. And before Jesus battled Satan in the wilderness, you and I could have no hope of victory in temptation. But now that Jesus has won, He has defamed the serpent. Now that Jesus has won and He has become our Savior, we are in him listen victory is already ours it's not something that we secured It's something that was secured for us you see we are his people what does this mean when we say that we're his people great here's what it means to be his people it means that in this life we are not seeking a temporal kingdom But we are longing for the day when Jesus will come and establish his everlasting kingdom. That's what we're longing for. We know that nothing in this world will truly satisfy us. And we continually long for our only satisfaction. And the only one that will satisfy you and me, no matter what happens on Tuesday, is Jesus. You see, we're not compromising with Satan we are battling Satan in an ongoing battle as we stand securely in the strength of our Savior. And who is he? He's the one that death himself had no power over. Now, I want us to think together this morning. Let's all think together. At the end of this message, after seeing Jesus as an all-sufficient, strong Savior, where are you standing? Are you standing on a bridge that leads to nowhere? A foundation that ebbs and flows with the nearest breeze? Or are you standing confidently on the rock of your salvation? The rock of ages. One footing will collapse. But the other footing will save you. Not just in this moment. But for every moment. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for loving us. Help us to love you with all of our hearts. I pray that we would truly search ourselves and that the Spirit's work would have your work in our hearts as we determine where it is that we place our hope. Are we searching for some past achievement? Or are we searching for the one who has conquered for us through his past achievement? Jesus, our strong Savior, our King. Father, you know every heart here. And it's my prayer that you would give strength to those who need it. Strength to those who need to call upon you for salvation. And Lord, save them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray God will use this message for his glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.